Good morning. How's everyone? Good. Did you guys enjoy your extra hour of sleep? Yes. My favorite time of the year when we get to add an hour. I hate it when they take away. I would love it if we could do this once a month. Wouldn't that be great? I didn't see it on the ballot or I would have voted for it. But anyways, I hope you enjoyed that. My name's Eric, if you don't know me. Uh, we would love for you to connect to our church if you're new or haven't done that yet out in the courtyard. We have a welcome center. Uh, we have a gift for you, literature to kind of help you understand our church. We'd love to help connect you, your family, to a Bible study, other Christians. Um, tonight, 5 p.m. church picnic. Um, we would love for you to join us. We like to have fun and hang out. Um, if you're introverted, no one's going to force you to talk. You can hang out and you won't have to listen to me for three hours or two hours or one or at all. You don't even have to say hi to me, okay? So just hang out and it's good to know other Christians. It's good to have some fun and just know that, that Christians can have fun and we can do it in a God-honoring and fun way. Uh, last thing, Tara, one of our missionaries is here visiting on an impromptu visit. So she'll be out in the courtyard if you wanna pray for her and get to know her, ask her some questions. We love that. So here we go. We're in Matthew chapter 15. Um, but our church, we, we have a lot of doctors and lawyers and engineers and people who are very uh, linear. And so they're panicked right now because last week I didn't cover 1434. And then John got up here in red and he started in 15. And they're like, we missed three verses. Okay. So we're going to cover those three verses. I promise. Right here. Okay. So Matthew chapter 14, if you're not there. Um, it's kind of got this weird transition in between the two texts, right? So you have Jesus calming the storm and Peter walking on water. And then he gets on a boat and he heals a group of people. And then they get back on the boat and the fish are like, boom. And he's like, where does that fit? What's going on? I think it actually is going to introduce chapter 15 in our text to us. And this is what's going on. So chapter 14, it says, they'd crossed over and they came to the land. Oh, this is verse 34, 35. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out all that region and brought to him all who were sick. And 36, and implored him that they might not only touch the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. And then boom, 15, the Pharisees, the scribes, and they go. And so it's like, what is that there for? So here, here would be my contention. I want us to think about, have you noticed throughout you know, there's Old Testament, New Testament. Jesus does work. God does work in the Old Testament. It's always a different kind of way. It's like here they're touching a garment and they can only touch the fringe of the garment. In another passage, he tells them to put mud on their face. In another passage, he says, get up and walk. In another passage, he tells them, you know, go into the water. So there's all these different things. He picks different ways in the Old Testament. Hey, walk around the city seven times. Hey, so there's these different things. Here's what I think the point of what Jesus and God makes consistently in the text that maybe sometimes we miss is that, that the work of God, the work of Christ, it is about the man and not the method. Okay? I want you to think about that. It's about the man and not the method. If Jesus made it the same way every single time, put mud on your, put mud on your face. Everyone would just line up and put mud, put mud, put mud. It would be about the method of mud. So he does it a different way at a different time all the time. So they understand what's the consistency in all these different scenarios. Jesus it is about the man Christ and him and his work. It is not about the method. 
Okay, so I'm gonna pray and we're gonna walk right into chapter 15 here. Okay? Dear Jesus, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for the text. We thank you that your words, they illuminate us, they teach us and they help us. We just pray your words would uh, capture our hearts, illuminate us, convict us of our sin, turn us over to you, help us want to be more like you. And we just pray for you to speak and for your words to help us love you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so we see it's about the man and not the method. This is important, okay, because this is exactly comes into how do we get the traditions of man? You see, from, from the very beginning, we as a people have loved to worship the method instead of God himself. And so there's methods that come and we come about that. If you grew up in the church, I did, uh, from age five onward, you kind of understand what I'm saying. Uh, there was an era in time when coming to church from being a good Christian, it meant methodology-wise, the method, you had to come looking clean, dressed clean. You had to sit in church. They would play the organ. You would be silent. If you sneezed or something happened, you were a bad child that got talked about at other people's dinners. He believed their children. They were sneezing. I think one of their elbows slipped. I don't even know if they loved Jesus, right? Like it was bad. You came to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. If you missed, it's because you did not love Jesus. There was something wrong with you. Okay, it was a system. And so I showed up to church one day and I didn't fit the system. I don't know if you, you guys might not be old enough to know this yet, but there was a time in the 90s when really baggy jeans were popular, right? And my jeans were so baggy, they were supposed to be able to go over rollerblades, right? I don't know why they did that. I couldn't even really rollerblade. But anyways, I was wearing them, Okay. And my mom, she was a single mom, single parent. You know, I grew up in a trailer park, just me and her. And so she didn't really care how I looked when I came to church. She just wanted me at church. And so I strolled in and this man meets me. And he goes, you're really gonna come here like that? You might wanna leave and come back when you know how to dress better. I'm like, wow, this guy's mad. And so this other old man, right? He looks at him and he's like, knock it off. He tells him to get lost. He comes over to me and he goes, hey, they make those in my size? And I was like, I don't think so, why? He's like, well, I have a lot of stuff I could fit in those pockets in that size jeans. I think they'd look great on me. And I'm like, I'm not gonna tell him they won't, but sure. He twists his arm around me, we walk into church. And it was like, man, that guy was awesome. And I thank God for him. Well, later on, I would talk to my mom as I grew up and I'd be like, you know, why did, why did you take me there with all those people acting like that? You know, and they would judge her as a parent. You can't get control of your kid. What kind of parent are you? She goes, Eric, I didn't have any other choices. Where else was I going to take you? And I was like, oh man, it made sense to me. You see, but this happens all throughout our culture, right? It becomes about a process. And it's like, look at how spiritual I am. All of these things are aligned. And all of these things mean I'm a great Christian. Look at the method I am following. And then we beat people when they don't appear or adhere to the method. Because if we let that slide, it diminishes our spiritualness, our holiness, our greatness. This is exactly what you see going on in the text. See, I think you have well-meaning, well-intending people. It starts off, you're trying to honor God and you're trying to be as godly as you can, but then you get into the system. And you're like, oh, wow, look, look. Look, and then it becomes about these rules and these regulations that never ever have anything to do with what God had said or God intended to say. 
So this is now the Pharisees, chapter 15, and the traditions of man. And you see that the Pharisees, chapter, verse 1, chapter 15, have come from Jerusalem. Okay, so we see they've come from a distance. What is Jerusalem? It's the capital. This is the capital of Jewish thinking and understanding, religious um, kind of uh, just the pinnacle, that's the word I'm looking for, of Jewish thought and understanding, right? That's where the temple was, everything there. So they're sending the best. They're sending the smart guys and they've come a long way because they have decided there's something wrong with Jesus and his disciples. Now, some of you are gonna be so excited here, okay? Get to verse two. It says, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Is it God's word? That's not a trick question. No, it's not. For they what? They do not wash their hands when they eat. You're like, I knew it was a commandment. I knew it, right? So they're calling out Jesus and his disciples for breaking the traditions of man and not following what the elders do. See, what happens is we create a system and say, oh, that's what godliness looks like. So I'll do that. And then I'll follow them and I'll do that. And then I'll judge other people when they don't do it as being less spiritual. Our kind of modern day dilemma, what we've done is it's it's kind of creeped from us and it's creeped into the children. And we kind of want to present our kids as this, hey, look at how spiritual I am because they're amazing. And essentially what you see is this system we create for them. If we follow this system, they'll be perfect or close to perfect. Or, you know, even sometimes it's a little bit more spiritual. They'll love Jesus and everything will be great and they'll have a perfect life and no bad things will happen. And so we look at these systems and what are the different systems? And so one system is, you know, oh, I'll send my kid to public school because we care about lost people and we want them to know what the world's like and we want to evangelize them and have them, you know, evangelize the lost. And so that kind of becomes your thought. And then the second one, you're like, okay, no, I don't want anyone teaching my kid. Everyone is crazy except me, so I'm going to homeschool my kid, right? And it's like, no, 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 I want my kid to learn the best and the brightest and the safest, so I'm going to put them in private school. And so you have these three things, right? Well-intended, good-meaning things. And then all of a sudden, someone comes up and says, well, why do you let your kid go to school with a bunch of pagans and heathens in the public school? Do you not love Christ? I didn't know that was in the Bible. But okay, so that comes there. So then what happens to the public school? Well, do you not love non-Christians? Because your kid's only around Christians. So you don't love the lost and it becomes this war of who's more spiritual off rules that Christians created that aren't even in the Bible. And we protect them and hold them. Why? Because if we're wrong, then it means we're not spiritual. If we're not spiritual, then we're not good. And so this protection comes and we beat people with them. Now, let me give a preface. Some of you are looking like, he's talking to me. No, I'm not. If it happens to fit your line of thinking, I'm sorry. And I'm not beating you up. I'm hopefully saving you from what the text is trying to save us from is you do not marry a method. You follow Christ. You follow Christ. When you come to a method and you wrap your arms and your heart and you believe in it and you pull it up, it causes you to miss the word of God. It causes you to miss that we are to love God And it allows us to feel judgmental and superior, but it also allows us to hide from the sins that we're breaking by saying, look at the rules I'm keeping. 
okay? Jesus is quick to point this out. Let's go back to our text. So I want you to look. So this is Jesus' response. He answered them. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of tradition? I want you to catch. He was attacked by not keeping a tradition. He doesn't give them a different tradition and say, why don't you follow that? He says, you actually break the commandments of God and you're coming at me with a tradition of men? And so look how his argument is stated. Verse four, for God commanded, honor your father and mother. Okay, so that's Exodus 20, 12, part of the 10 commandments, right? Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God is giving you. And he's like, that's a commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. And he says, there's also another commandment inside of that. Whoever, we're in verse four now, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Now he's getting to Exodus 21, 17. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. So he's quick to point out, man, you guys don't even keep God's commandments and you're gonna come after us for what? For not washing our hands before we eat? So Jesus gets to them really hard and really fast. Look at, he continues, because he says, this is how you're breaking it. Verse six, he needed, or he need not honor his father. Let's go verse five, sorry. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what would you have gained for me is given to God. So this is the honor part of this. There was a, a thought, if your parents are in need, they have a financial, you know, need, that part of honoring them is helping them if you have the ability to help them. Let me help you, mom. Let me help you, dad. I'm gonna help you take care of that need. So this is verse five. Jesus is explaining, this is what you guys are doing. What would you have gained from me is given to God. So they're saying, look, mom, look, dad, I can't help you. All my money's already promised to the Lord. It's going to the temple. It's going to the leaders. I can't help you. I don't know what to say. So verse six, he says, he needed not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. So Jesus lays it out. You guys are using giving to God as an excuse not to honor your parents. There's two things going on here. One if your offering to God is to be mean to your parents, that's not an offering. That's one. And then two, you're not honoring your parents because that money never actually ended up going anywhere. They kept it. They just used it as an excuse. So Jesus is pointing out, you guys are making up rules to feel more spiritual about yourself while ignoring actual commandments that God actually gave and then twisting them to fit your narrative so you actually look like you're not breaking anything at all. So Jesus goes on, he says this, you hypocrites, Isaiah prophesied of you when he said, 
These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Teaching the doctrine as commandments of men. See, that's what happens when we create these systems. No, you have to look this way. You have to do it this way. For your kid to be a Christian, he has to go through this system. They have to read this book. They have to look like this and talk like this and do this. If they don't, and then if that system gets disruptive, we get upset because all of a sudden, oh, then that means my kid's not a Christian. That means I'm not a Christian. And all of a sudden, but it's teaching the doctrines of men. These aren't actually the doctrines of God. Because the reality is, do we want public school kids in our church? That's not a trick question. Yes. Do we want private school kids in our churches? Yes. Do we want charter school kids and homeschool kids and schools I don't even know about? Yes. We want all of them to come to church and love Jesus and follow Jesus, not fit into a preconformed box that we've called Jesus that actually isn't Jesus. And then beat people with it because it makes us look good because it happens to be the things that we like. See, Jesus is hammering them pretty good because this isn't your average person. This is the Pharisee from Jerusalem. See, the traditions of man, they allow us to look spiritual while we break all the other rules because we just don't bring those ones up. And they're not just rules. They're things God actually commanded. So we create systems to justify bad behavior. We do it now and they did it then. We're not going to give our money and honor our parents. We're giving it to the Lord. God actually didn't command anywhere to not give your money to your parents so you could give it to him, did he? He said, honor your parents, help your parents. And if you can, do it. And if you can't, you can't. So this is now, I want you to see this. So you have man's tradition. And I want you to see now how love of that affects worship. Okay, Isaiah makes this statement. He says, for the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching doctrines of the commandments of men. It says their worship is vain. So he's saying, literally, you can say the right thing and be completely divorced from believing it and meaning it. You can say it's all about God and it's all about you. The worship is in vain. This idea is in Malachi 1.10. I want you to catch this, this parallel here. It says, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. And I will not accept an offering from your hand. See, what were they doing? They were just throwing things on the altar saying, look, God, I love you. I love you. He says, I wish just one person would shut the door and just say, stop, stop. You don't actually love me. 
You're saying it with your mouth, but in your heart, in your heart, it's not actually there. So how do you now look at this and say, well, how do I have the right heart? And how do I keep the commandments? Okay, so we're gonna think about God's commandments because there's two times in your you're breaking his commandments, you're breaking his commandments. You're teaching the man, you know, doctrine and commandments of man. So what is, it, what is he getting at? He's saying, if your heart is going to be near me, if your worship is not going to be in vain, it is a heart that says, God, I love you. And I'm doing these things because I love you. There is no quid pro quo, benefit for benefit. I sacrifice this, you owe me this. You do the commandment because you love me. See, this is the hardest thing in all of Christianity to teach. If you are saved by grace, right? God purchases you through Christ at 100% the work of Christ. That's why you're saved. The question is, then why would I obey his commandments? Why do I need to do anything if he's done it for me? The answer is you do it because you could have never done it yourself. You could have never done it yourself. You never ever could be good enough. There's not enough nice things you could do, enough things you could give. There's nothing you could do to ever save yourself. And you were destined for the wrath of God in hell. And because of the rich grace and mercy of Christ, you've been saved from the wrath of God, saved from hell and now are paid for. That work elicits and demands a response in us. That's why I obey. That's why I do what he asks. It's a response. So proper worship, proper worship is a response. God, I love you. Here's my offering. God, I love you. Here's what I am to do. God, I love you. Whatever you would have me do. Okay, so when they're working their way through this, they're, they're getting very confused. But the essence of what he is trying to get at, I'll give you a little preview here, Matthew 16, 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The essence, the heart of worship is God, I love you more than I love me. I trust you more than I trust myself. I will do marriage your way because I love you. I will parent your way because I love you. I'm denying my need for revenge or anger or selfishness or laziness. Whatever that is, I love you. Therefore, I'm going to give my effort, give my time, my treasure. I'm going to give anything I can because I love you, even if it means going directly against what I feel and I think. And so this, they're absolutely confused. What do you mean? You can do the right thing, but do it with the wrong motive and it's bad worship. So this has them confused. So Jesus now gets into verse 10. He called the people and he said to them, hear and understand. Okay, I've, we've been, I've been walking you guys through this in the book of Matthew. Do you guys remember chapter 13 when he just went through that discourse of here's what the kingdom of God is like? And after he gives them all of those parables, what does he say? 
He says, do you understand? And what do they say? Do we remember? Yes, Jesus, we understand. And here they are. They don't understand. So he says, hear and understand. It is not what goes in the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended? I love that. I love that. They're going to, the, they're going to Jesus who knows everything. And they're so concerned. Jesus, do you know who you just offended? Why is he not afraid to offend them? Because they're teaching the traditions of man and they're wrong. And he confronted them with the word of God and said, this is what it actually says. He's trying to tell them, you guys need to understand. It is not about following a system. Okay, And this is where I need the old people to really help me. You don't have to raise your hand if you're old, but you understand this. Okay, Do you know why that old guy was so kind to me? He'd lived long enough to know every system fails. Only Christ and his word remains. He had lived long enough to know the organ's going to be gone. The suits are going to be gone. Purpose-driven life is going to be gone. They're all going to be gone. It's going to be Jesus and his word. Don't care if the kid's in these weird clothes. Maybe I'll buy a pair and wear them with him. He's at church. I want him to know Christ. He was old enough because he realized Systems fail, methods change, Christ remains. So he wasn't offended at something that was different than him. By the way, he was in a suit and tie. By the way, he was not offended that I was different than him. He was not offended. Why? Because there was nothing to be offended about. So Jesus walks them through this. They're having a hard time understanding, but Jesus these, these are the Pharisees. Like they look right. They act right. They say things right. They wash their hands. They wear the right clothes. The right people like them. They have the right man. Jesus, they're offended. And Jesus answered them. Verse 13, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. What's he getting at? They're not of the Father. Remember the parable of the seeds? Matthew 13, kingdom of heaven is like. What is he getting at? The kingdom of heaven are those whose heart treasure Christ. Remember the treasure? It's like a man who found a treasure. They don't treasure Christ. They treasure themselves. They treasure their own righteousness. They pleasure and treasure their own superiority helps them ignore the sin they're committing, helps them feel better than others, and helps them feel like they've earned a right to demand something of God. Look at the prayers of the Pharisees. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like others. There's a superiority complex going on and they can't get it. So Jesus further explains, okay, they're not just like plants that aren't rooted from the Father. 14, let them alone. It's like, why are you talking to them? Let them alone. They are blind guides. 
And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the pit. It's like, they're the blind leading the blind. Why would you want to follow them? Why would you care if they're offended at what I said? They're blind because they're making void the word of God. Verse 6. The word of God is what leads you away from the pit. The blind lead the blind into the pit. Have you ever seen a teenager give another teenager dating advice? It is the blind leading the blind. Whom have they loved and married and committed to? I'm not picking on teenagers. I'm just saying, if you want dating advice, talk to someone who's actually dated and succeeded and married. That's just logical, okay? Think through that. It's the blind leading the blind. They're blind. And so this is what we do in Christianity. We find someone and be like, they're an all-star Christian. Look at what they did. I need to mimic and do what they've done. I need my kids to look like that. I need to go that. What book did you get? What school did you send it to? What conference did you go to? What, 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 what did you do? We'll do it. It's the blind leading the blind. Because it devoids the word of God. It puts standards and systems and, and, and success that God never mentions. Let me tell you this. Do not fall victim to this. Every kind of kid walks away from the Lord. There's no, there's no way from saving that. There's no school. I've seen every kid in both circumstances. The public school kid, hate Jesus, love Jesus. The private, love Jesus, hate Jesus. The charter school kid, the homeschool kid, and the schools online, all the schools, okay? What does the word of God say? Teach them about God in the morning, Deuteronomy 6, in the afternoon and in the evening, teach them about Christ. Do not teach them how to build the system, make them feel safe by the system, beat people who don't meet the system, and then think they're fine because they're better than the other guy who didn't wash his hands. It makes the word of God void. Teach them to love Jesus. Teach them to read the word of God. And why are we talking about kids and parents so much? Because the text said to honor your father and mother. Okay? These apply in so many places. What is he saying? Do you understand? It is the intent of the heart that the kingdom of God is after. The Christian treasures Christ, motivated by Christ, responds to Christ. So when you think of your marriage, and you think, man, I need to do something for my spouse. The intent of the heart is not, well, if I let her go here, maybe she'll let me go there. When you want to be a good employee, you don't think, well, if maybe I do this extra, then he'll give me this quid pro quo. It's not favor for favor. The intent of the Christian is Christ loved me, died for me, paid for me. I act this way as a response to his love. I act this way. First John, I love as he loved me. You teach people, your children, you do what you do as a response to Christ. It's not a system that makes you superior. It's not a system that saves you from failure. It's not a system that saves you from bad health and bad finances. It's a response to the great work of Christ that you are responding to. And it is your pleasure and it is your joy and it is your prayer 
Not only that you would do it, but they would do it and their kids' kids would do it. That's Deuteronomy 6, the generations and generations and generations. You teach them the intent of the heart and the intent of the heart is to honor Christ with your lips and your heart. This is what they do not understand. Verse 17, this is kind of funny, right? He's like, and he said, are you also still without understanding? It's just funny. Okay, 17. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes through the stomach and is expelled? I'm pretty sure that's not their question. That's why I think it's funny, right? They're like, we get it, Jesus. You eat, it comes in, it goes out. We get it. 18. But whatever comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. From out of their heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. What is he saying they don't understand? He's saying you don't understand the law and you don't understand the kingdom of God. And he holds them side by side and he marries them perfectly. This is what they did with the law. There's 600-ish laws that I need to follow. So if I follow, let's say, 400 of those laws. I'm at two thirds of following. I'm at 66% of following. That puts me in a D. I probably should follow a few more laws to get into that C range so I can be a good Christian. Then the Pharisees come along and go, 70, I could get into 80. I can get into 90. I'm a 90% Christian. Look at you, 30% Christian. You're a failure. You don't even wash your hands. It became a way of superiority. It became a way of beating people down and letting people feel better than they were. See, the purpose of the law was not to do that. The purpose of the law was to show three things. One, God is absolutely holy. Because when they would have to talk to God or go to prepare sin for God, it was, these are the garments. This is how you have to wash yourself. This is how you cut the animal. This is what type of animal. This is how clean the animal has to be. There's all these purification laws. And they're like, this is, I, this is so much. That's how holy God is. It was to teach you how holy and perfect God is. And he's like, give me your absolute best. God, this is expensive. I'm giving you all my filet mignons can I just give you my ground beef? And he's like, no. Why? Because sin is costly. Second point of the law. What's the third point? God, there's so many laws. I can't do all of these things. I can't do it all. I can't do it all. I need help. He goes, exactly. You need a savior. You need Jesus. That's why they look forward to the one who can do all the things they can't. That's why John the Baptist sees Jesus and he goes, finally, behold the lamb to take away the sins of the world. And so what God meant as a means and a method to show them their need for God, the depth of their depravity and the holiness of God, they twisted and turned into a system and added to it to beat down people and lift themselves up. He says, that is not it at all. This is why in the New Testament, Paul keeps beating this into the pages of Scripture. For all have sinned. All have sinned. There's no such thing as good sinner, bad sinner. There's no such thing as, well, they're a really bad, bad, bad sinner. I'm just a 
bad sinner. There was a really and two extra bads for them. And then there's, you know, the elders and pastors, they're really bad or, you know, but not really, 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 really bad. So I'm not as good as them. They get one really, I get two reallys, and they get three. What does the Bible say? You are dead in sin. There's not more dead, less dead, and half dead. There's dead. You're dead in sin. Dead in sin. It's 100% the work of Christ. None of the work of us. Therefore, there's no varying degrees. You do what you do because you love Christ. That's why you do it. He's saying out of the heart, the heart is going to want you to have evil thoughts, murder, hatred, right? Adultery, immorality, theft, false witness, all of these things. That's what's in your heart. And it gets evidenced by the words you speak. What comes out, words, reveals what's in heart. So the question for us has to be, what are the words I use and what do they reveal about my own heart? From anger, murder, condemning people, angry words towards people, slander, gossip, right? That's where you get coveting and jealousness, insecurity and fear and don't don't trust the Lord. All of these words, whether by computer or by text, social media, by mouth, See, we can't believe what the world believes. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. That's a lie. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will devastate your heart, will crush your heart. Words matter. That's what Jesus is getting at. Your words matter because they reveal your heart. Your heart and your words need to match up. You can't just say it. The intent of the heart has to match it. And then you say, well, if I don't feel it, then I shouldn't do it. Thanks, pastor. I never feel like doing it. No, 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 no. The greatest acts of love are those which we do when we feel contrary. That's parenting, isn't it? You didn't change those diapers for a quid pro quo. I'm changing these knowing one day you're going to do five things for me. You know that doesn't work because when you remind them you change their diapers, they're like, why do I care? That's your problem. I didn't ask you to do that. That doesn't change the fact that I still want to go do this. No, no, you did it because you love them. And it's out of love you did these acts for them despite the feelings. And so it's a heart that treasures Christ. And it's, it's a heart that says these feelings are inside of me, but I'm going to honor and love Christ and trust him with these things. I'll ask you one question and then we'll get through some questions. If you're going to try to think through this, you know, am I doing this? If you were to die today and I were to ask you, okay, you going to heaven, you're like, yes. And I were to say, why? Why are you going to heaven? Many of you are making a list. Well, I go to church most of the time. I read my Bible part of the time. I'm a good citizen. You know, you're making this list. That's why I think I would go to heaven. Just creating a system. The only reason you go to heaven is the work of Christ. He paid for you. He paid for you in his kindness, goodness, sovereignty, mercy, and love and grace. He paid. He paid. That's why you go. Everything else is a response. That's the heart that draws near and doesn't make void the word of God. That's the heart that loves and adores and truly worships him. 
is the heart that responds to his work. That is how the law and the kingdom come together in the work of Christ. Okay, some questions for us to think through. Are there any man-made rules that you follow that cause you to look down on people? We need to not be the Pharisees. You can be honest like Jesus. Jesus was very honest. These are man-made rules, not from the Bible. You need to use your Bible. You're breaking the Bible. This is not of the Father. My Father doesn't do this. He was very honest. You can be honest. Two, how is it possible to honor God with your lips but have a heart that is far from God? It's when we do things in the name of God, expecting the benefits of God. When we say the right thing, but deep down we don't care and we don't trust and we don't love. We want the notoriety and we want the praise that comes with it, not for God. God's gifted you. It's so that people would say, look at how good God is, not look at how good we are, right? Three, is there an area of your life where the blind is leading the blind instead of following God's word? Where you're just like, oh, look at this, look at this, let's go, let's follow, let's look, let's add it, let's add it. And it's like, no, 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 is that in the word of God? Is that in the word of God? That's his point. That makes void the word of God. It's the tradition of man, the tradition of elders. You're teaching the doctrine of man. Stop it. Four, how does reading the law help you love Jesus? We're gonna get to January and you're gonna get through your Bible reading plan. You're gonna wanna throw out Leviticus and Numbers. Those help you see this is how holy God is. This is how bad sin is. This is how much you need Jesus. It's still great for us to read. Five, when you look at the words that have come out of your mouth over the last week, how have you defiled the Lord? As Christians, we're in a very charged moment in time. Our words matter. We need to be conscious that they reflect Christ. They reflect what's in here. We can still be honest, but we need to be godly. We need to be godly and reflect that godliness in the way we say things. Okay, let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for being with us. Uh, We pray that your word would penetrate our hearts. It would lift us high. It would challenge us to love you and follow you more than we do. Pray that we would not have vain worship. I pray that we would honor you with our lips and our heart. Pray that our heart would not be far, but our heart would draw close to you. Be with us as we continue on in our service. We remember you in communion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The beauty of this passage is it, it forces us to respond to the work of Christ, right? To respond what Jesus does on the cross, that he sheds his blood in our place. He bears the wrath of God. His body's broken. His blood's poured out. Well, part of us getting to a place where we're responding to that work is remembering the work over and over and over again. We remember that work in communion at LBC twice a month. We take a dedicated time to remember. You have a cracker in here. I recommend you open it first so you don't spill the juice. You open it up. Remember that Jesus nails, pierced, body broken. And then the juice, you open that. Blood poured out, wrath of God poured down. In the grave, rose, conquered death, conquered sin in our place. It's that remembering that reminds us when I go home and I have to parent, I'm going to parent because I love Jesus. When I have to go to work, I'm going to be a good employee or a boss because I love Jesus. I'm going to act and do as he would act and want me to do. And however people respond, that's 
Irregardless, I'm doing it because of Christ. I'm drawing near Christ. I'm upholding the word. I'm having a heart that treasures him. This is the kingdom. And so as you go through that, one of the things we do in that remembrance is remember the sins that put him there. And this passage gives us some great sins to think through. You think through, how have I bore false witness? How have I portrayed that I'm something I'm not? It's what a hypocrite is, what it says in the passage, that, oh, I'm really, really spiritual, or I'm not that bad. You hide it, you portray to be one thing and be another. Murder, you have hate. Is there anyone you hate? Say, Lord, vengeance is yours. Can't have that in my heart, forgive me. Sexual immorality. Your eyes wander and seek and lust and they want something that's not yours that God didn't give you, that's not yours to have. All right, theft. I think that comes even through in the jealousy and the coveting we have. God, why don't I have that? I deserve that. I need that. That would make me more happy. Slander, putting other people down so we can put ourselves up. There's something in that list. It's like, God, I do that. God, I do that. Forgive me. Forgive me. I don't want to do that. It's wrong. And I love you. Help me not do that. That's turn. That's repent. Walk toward you. Follow you. Love you. Help me love you and not do those things. I'm not trying to earn or quid pro quo. I want to be obedient because I love you. It's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Those who love him who don't make void the word of God, whose hearts do grow close and worship in spirit and truth and not in vain. And then at the end of that, John will lead us in a time of responding to the great work of Christ. And it's my prayer that we wouldn't respond in vain, but in true hearts that are thankful for the work of Christ, saying there's no way I could be with God without you. Thank you. There's no way I get to heaven without you. Thank you. That's our prayer. So I'm gonna pray. And then you, in your own time, pray and take communion and John will lead us in a time of celebration. God, we pray you would meet us now. You would speak to our hearts, convict us of sin, show us what we need to change. Help us be grateful and thankful for the things you've given. Uh, Help us worship you in spirit and truth and not in vain. Help us draw close. Help us not just profess with our lips, but we also want to believe in our hearts who you are and what you've done. Help us love you and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.